Thanks for joining us at our Foothills Church podcast. We exist to help people find and follow Jesus. If you're new here, we'd love to connect with you at foothills.cc. We hope you enjoy this message. Hey, do you guys believe in prayer? You believe prayer is powerful? Good, because we're in a prayer series. And we're going to talk about some different parts of prayer. I heard about a lady. She believed in prayer. She was a prayer warrior. She was one of those people that just I prayed about everything. And uh, she lived right next door to an atheist. And this lady's her habit, her custom was that she'd go out and pray out loud out on her balcony every day. She'd go out there and she'd just, thank you, Jesus, for this beautiful day. And thank you for providing for me. And you're awesome and great. And the atheist couldn't stand it. So he'd yell out the window. He said, why don't you keep quiet, woman? Don't you know there is no God? She just keep on praying day after day, and he'd get tired of it. And one day, something happened where her Social Security check did not come in, and um, she couldn't afford to buy groceries, and so times were looking a little rough. But she did what she would normally do in any situation. She went right out there and prayed to God, believing God was going to come through. So she went out on her balcony. She began to pray. She said, Lord, you know the situation. You know I didn't get my check. You know I don't have any food in the in the pantry or in the refrigerator, but I believe in you, God. I know you're going to provide because you're the great provider. Well, this atheist is hearing this, and he's like, I've had it. I know what I'm going to do. So he devises this plan. He runs to the grocery store, gets a couple big bags of groceries, puts her on, put it on her doorstep, rings the doorbell, and then jumps in the bushes, and he wants to watch her, what she does. And so she opens up her door. There are the groceries, and she begins to praise God. She's like, thank you, Jesus. I knew you'd come through. Thank you, God, for providing for me. So he jumps out of the bushes. He said, you old foolish woman, God didn't buy those groceries. I bought them. Well, she started praising God even more and running down the street, jumping with joy. So he ran after and caught up and he said, didn't you hear what I said? I bought those groceries. She said, well, I knew that God was going to provide my groceries. I just didn't know he was going to have the devil himself pay for them. That's a lady that believes in prayer. Do you believe in prayer that much? I hope so. Last week, Pastor Kevin kicked off the series, and he talked about something called intercessory prayer. And intercessory prayer is just a fancy way of saying that we're praying for one another. Somebody's praying for you. And he, he talked about the intercessor was kind of a mediator, someone that goes between God and that person praying on their behalf. He also told us that Jesus, of course, is the great intercessor. He's the great mediator between God and man. He took a, a holy God and he joined us, you know, us sinful people to a holy God. And Jesus was that person. And he also mentioned that even when we don't know what to pray, that the Holy Spirit makes intercession from for us. And the Holy Spirit lives inside of you if you're a believer. But today we're going to kind of even add an element to intercessory prayer that many people are not aware of. But it is a great comfort to me, and I'm sure it will be to you if you're not aware of it. And here is the thought, and here is the statement that, listen to this, Jesus is praying for you. I mean, you talk about an intercessory prayer. Jesus is praying for you. Now, some of you are going, I don't believe that. No, he is praying for you. Here's what it says in Romans chapter 8, verse 34. It says, Christ Jesus, it says, who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus, who died more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also doing what? Interceding for us. Can you imagine right now that Jesus is at the right hand and he's making intercession for you? He knows what you're going through. 
He knows what you're facing. He knows things that you don't even know that you're going to face. He knows the temptations that you're dealing with. He knows the struggles that you have. He knows the challenges that you face. And he's making intercession for you. You talk about horsepower behind a prayer. Jesus is praying for you. I don't know about you. My mind just goes, because it's hard to even comprehend that he takes the time to pray for me specifically and you specifically. Now, what we're going to do today, though, is we're going to dig into an intercessory prayer of Jesus for all of us. It's, it's just one of the prayers that he prays. And this is found in John chapter 17. And if you've got your Bibles or your electronic device, I would encourage you to follow along. We're going to look at the beginning of verse 9. But here's the setting. Here's the context that Jesus is getting ready to go to the cross. He has poured into his disciples for three years. He's literally given his life for them. And he's just, I mean, he's just every single day been with them. And he knows he's going and he's going to be leaving them. He's already prayed that the Holy Spirit would come and they would never be left alone. In his absence, the Holy Spirit would come and actually live inside of them. And he would be the comforter and the guide. But in the meantime, Jesus is getting ready to go to the cross. And he's praying for his disciples. But as you'll notice in the prayer that he says, I'm not only praying for them directly, but I'm praying for all who will believe in the message that they share, which is all of us who have placed our faith in Christ. So this is an intercessory prayer that he prayed for all of us. John chapter 17, listen to it. It kind of goes a little bit, sounds a little redundant because he's driving home a point. And here's what it says. Jesus says, my prayer is not for the world, but for those you have given to me. Because they belong to you. All who are mine belong to you, and you have given them to me, so they bring me glory. Now I am departing from the world. They are staying in this world. But I am coming to you, Holy Father. You have given me your name. Now protect them by the power of your name, so that they will be united just as we are. During my time here, I protected them by the power of the name you gave me. I guarded them so that none was lost except the one headed for destruction as the scriptures foretold. He's speaking of Judas, one of his 12 disciples who was going to betray him. Now in coming to you, I told them many things while I was with them in this world so they would be filled with my joy. I have given them your word and the world hates them because they do not belong to the world just as I do not belong to the world. I'm not asking you to take them out of the world, but to keep them safe from the evil one. They do not belong to this world any more than I do. Make them holy by your truth. Teach them your word, which is truth. Just as you sent me into the world, I am sending them into the world. And I give myself as a holy sacrifice for them so they can be made holy by your truth. I am praying not only for these disciples, but also for all who will ever believe in me through their message. That's us. I pray that they will all be one just as you and I are one. As you are in me, Father, and I am in you. And may they be in us so that the world will believe you have sent me. I've given them the glory you gave me, so they may be one as we are one. I am in them, and you are in me. May they experience such perfect unity that the world will know that you sent me and that you love them as much as you love me. Father, I want these whom you have given me to be with me where I am. Then they can see all the glory you gave me because you're you loved me even before the world began. O righteous Father, the world doesn't know you, but I do. And these disciples know you sent me. I have revealed you to them, and I will continue to do so. Then your love for me will be in them, and I will be in them. Again, that's, it's kind of 
goes around in circles a little bit, but there is a powerful intercessory prayer with four things that he prays for us. And I want to share those with you today because you may not even realize this, that he is praying not only this prayer that he prayed back then, but he's, got, he's praying for everything that we need. So let's just start by looking at some of the things he prays. First of all, he prays for our protection. He is praying for our protection. This world is crazy. It is a rough world out there. We need protection because there are a lot of things out there to harm us. And, you know, when you look at Jesus, he had a lot of metaphors that he would use when he would look at the church, the big C church and believers. And one of his favorite ones was that of sheep. He called us sheep. And I'm not sure if I take that as a compliment or not, but it came from Jesus, so I'll, I'll, I'll go with that. But he called us a sheep. Now think about this. He called us a sheep. Now, when you think about a sheep, here's, I don't know a lot about sheep, but here's what I do know, that a sheep is totally dependent on a shepherd. They, 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 they need a shepherd. They are helpless without a shepherd. I've been told that, that sheep are, a, um, are, are not a really smart animal. In John chapter 10, Jesus talked about sheep. He said, I am the good shepherd and you are the sheep. The good shepherd um, will lay down his life for a sheep because of his love for them. And the sheep will follow the shepherd because they recognize his voice. They won't follow the voice of a stranger, but they'll follow him. The sheep are pretty dumb, really. They're not intelligent animals. I have been told that a sheep, a whole herd, a flock of sheep, I would kill them herds, the flock of sheep, will, they could be like grazing on some beautiful grass, and then there'll be a cliff. It might drag like a thousand feet down and see there are more grass down there. And a sheep will look at it and go, yeah, I think I'm going to have some of that grass and just step right off of the cliff. Well, the rest of the group watches this and you would think, well, I better not do that. No. One by one, they will just kind of fall to their death going to that grass. They're not real intelligent animals. When it comes to intelligent animals, most people would say like a porpoise or a monkey, a dog, they even say that pigs are intelligent, but nobody mentions sheep with good reason. They're not real smart. Now, again, I don't think he was saying it in a demeaning way. I think he was just recognizing that we need protection because sheep have no, really no line of defense. They're not fast. They're not going to outrun anything. They're not like a cheetah. They're not, they're not powerful. They're not ferocious. I mean, they don't have fangs or, or claws or any, anything like that. I mean, when you think of animals like that you would think of like a crocodile or a tiger or rhino you know something that's that's a little more you know has some wherewithal to be able to protect themselves but not sheep i mean sheep don't i don't think sheep intimidate anybody really if you think about it there's no think about professional sports team do you know of any team called like the, the sheep like the tampa bay sheep or anything like that no you know why because nobody everybody would go i'm not why would i'm gonna laugh when i play that team I mean, they don't, that doesn't strike fear into me. But if, like, I hear the Detroit Lions or the Clemson Tigers, now I get afraid, right? Right, Kevin? Where's Kevin with the Alabama fan? They're Clemson Tigers. We get afraid because we know that there are animals like that, but not a sheep. Sheep don't, we're not scared of sheep. In fact, have you ever had a nightmare about sheep? No. You know why? Because they're not scary, right? You've probably had, I've had a nightmare like a lion is chasing me or something like that, but never a sheep. My sheep just, they don't do that. In fact, if you can't sleep, what do you do? You count sheep, right? You count sheep. You think about sheep because they're so fluffy and lovable. And Jesus said, you are my sheep. 
And sheep need a shepherd. They're dependent on a shepherd. Sheep need protection. And Jesus prays this prayer. He says, I'm praying for their protection because it's tough out there. Here's what he says in, in, in John uh, chapter 17. He says, during my time here, I protected them by the power of the name you gave me. You know the name of Jesus is the most powerful name there is. The Bible says that the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that he's Lord. The name of Jesus, things change. Destinies change. Situations change. He said, I protected them by the power of the name you gave me. I guarded them so that none was lost. Not one was lost except the one headed for destruction, as the scriptures foretold. I'm not asking you to take them out of the world, but to keep them safe from the evil one. Jesus said, I don't want to take them out of the world, but I do want you to protect them because they're, they're kind of like sheep. They're defenseless for the most part. But notice what he says. He says, I'm praying that you'll protect them from the evil one. His prayer was specifically for this spiritual battle that we're all in. You may not even know it. You may be oblivious to the fact that you're in a spiritual battle, but there's this unseen world that the Bible talks about that's just as real as the dimension we live in, but we can't see it. And it's, and, it's a, it, and, it's the, and it's a battle of good and evil, of God and Satan. And there's, there's a, the battle that goes on all the time. And Satan, we have an enemy, his name is Satan, and he wants to take you out. In John chapter 10, which I was just talking about, where Jesus talked about being the shepherd and the good sheep, he referred to, to the evil one, Satan, as a thief. He said, the thief comes to kill, steal, and destroy. That's what he wants to do in your life. He wants to destroy you. And Jesus is saying, I am praying right now, interceding for us that we'd be strong in those moments of temptation when Satan is dangled at a carrot in front of us. Strong in those moments when we have a decision to make of of right or wrong. He's praying that we would make those kind of decisions because there's a spiritual battle. And here's how it's referred to in in Ephesians chapter 6. In Ephesians 6, he says, for we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. It's a spiritual battle. Now the good news is that that he's praying for us and we have the Holy Spirit. If you're a follower of Jesus, the Holy Spirit lives in you and he is helping you fight that battle as well. But that prayer that we would be strong in the face of the fight of of the enemy is important. But here's also what he said in that prayer. He said, I'm not asking you to take them out of the world, but to keep them safe from the evil one. It's, it, it's important to note that he, it, he said, look, they're going to have these battles, and instead of just taking them out, like, like, like beaming, up, beaming them up as soon as they give their life to Jesus, because that would be really cool, wouldn't it? Like, I pray a prayer, give my life to Jesus, commit my life to Jesus, and, I'm, and I don't have to face any temptation or any evil anymore. I go straight to heaven, but it doesn't work that way. So he's saying, I'm not praying that you take them out of the world, but while they're in the world, that you protect them from the evil one. And this is really, really important distinction. In Luke chapter 22, there's this interaction between Jesus and Simon Peter, his disciple. And here's what Jesus says to him. He says, Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift each of you like wheat. But, listen to this, this is his intercession. But I have pleaded in prayer for you, Simon, that your faith should not fail. I think when we're in those moments when when Satan is trying to sift us like wheat, 
that Jesus is praying that our faith would not fail, that we would be strong in the power of his might in those moments. And also notice in there that he said, Simon, Satan has asked to sift you. Satan has no power other than the, the, the little bit of power that God allows him. He had to ask permission to do this. The same thing in the book of Job. You'll notice that, that Satan had to come and ask God to be able to do the things he did to Job. It's not like God and Satan are equals. They're not. Satan is subservient to God. God is holy. God is omnipotent. And God doesn't bow to anyone. But he asked to sift them like we. And I'm telling you guys, life is tough. We need protection. You're not strong enough to do this battle on your own. But here's the good news. If you have Christ in you, the Bible says that greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. You have that power living in you. But you have to rely on that power. So he prays for our protection. Number two is actually two points. He prays that we would be holy and sent on mission. He prays that we would be holy and sent on mission. The word holy there throws a lot of people off. Like, what? Let me explain it. John 17, here's what he says. Make them holy by your truth. Teach them your word, which is truth. Just as you sent me into this world, I'm sending them into the world. All right, I want to explain a process here right, that a lot of people don't know how this works. But I want you to picture a, a, a line, a continuum that goes from all the way there, all the way there. All the way here, this portion of our life, the time we're born, all the way to this point where hopefully everybody's in this room or on watching online or people we know will come to this point here, which is known as our salvation experience, okay? Prior to this, all of our lives, we're, 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 the Bible says we're lost, spiritually lost in our sins. Like we've committed sins, we're born into sin, and we're separated from God because of that sin. And there's nothing I can do to change that on my own strength. Like I'm helpless to save myself. So my life, before I was, when I was born, all the way till I was born again, the day I gave my life to Jesus, all right? This is the point where you have that aha moment when you recognize I'm a sinner. I can't save myself. I need a savior. Jesus is the only one qualified because he was perfect and he lived on his earth and he, and he lived a perfect life and he died a, a, a death for me, shed his blood on a cross. They laid him in the tomb. Three days later, he rose again and I need him to save me and I repent of my sins and turn to Jesus. That's that moment. This moment right here is known as justification. We call it salvation, okay? Justification. Like I am right with God, not in, anything I've done, but what Jesus did. And my old life is gone and I have this new life ahead of me. Listen, if you're still over here, today could be this day for you. But this is the beginning. Okay, this is a one-time deal. I give my life to Jesus. I commit my heart to Jesus. Then I start a process. This next process from the day I gave my life to Jesus till the day I die is called sanctification. The fancy word that simply means that I'm becoming more like Jesus. That I've, I'm no longer living the way I used to. I'm not living, try, I'm, it's not about 
It's not about behavior modification. It's not about me trying to be better or good. It's about me yielding my life to the Holy Spirit and allowing him to sanctify me, to become more like Christ, to grow spiritually each day of my life. Now, that's not always linear. Sometimes it's one, day, one step forward and two steps back. But I'm moving toward Jesus, hopefully becoming more like Jesus. The sanctification process, which if you're a believer, this is, we're all in this right now. You may be, you just knew it, and you may be a little further down the line, but I'm in the sanctification process, and this is what Jesus said, make them holy, right? Not perfect, but holy. And eventually we come to this last point known as glorification. That's when I die. And I enter into glory with Jesus in my new body in Christ. So, but in the meantime, I've got, and that lasts for eternity, okay? That goes on and on. But we're all in this part of the continuum right here, and we got to figure out what, what is he saying. Okay, so he's praying for those disciples, and he said, but not just them, for us. And here's what he says again. I'm going to read it again. Make them holy by your truth. Teach them your word, which is truth. We live in a crazy world. We live in a world that will tell you there is no such thing as absolute truth. That you have your truth and I have my truth, and they may or may not line up. But your truth is yours, and my truth is mine, and it's okay, just everybody do it. That's not what the Bible teaches. Let me tell you something. There is absolute truth. It's the Word of God. This is, absolute, this is the plumb line. A plumb line keeps per, is perfect. This is, this is exact. Everything in this Word is truth. And when, when we look at a world that is saying there is no such thing as absolute truth, and here's the problem, that truth yesterday may not be the truth today. Here's what I know about God, that God, the Bible says, is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And his word is the same way. It is immutable. He does not change. Which is great, because here's what it's saying. Jesus said, make them holy by your words. Your word is truth. So, what he's saying is that if I want to live this in the sanctification process, moving toward holiness, what I need to do then is to know a holy God. And the way I know a holy God is through his holy word. So his word leads to holiness because it's absolute truth. Now, that's a whole lot to say. I know that. But let me give you another scripture there. In Romans chapter 12, verse 2. It tells us basically what it's going to say. This is not about behavior modification. This is about transformation. Here's what it says. Don't copy the behaviors and the customs of this world. Another translation says, do not conform to the patterns of this world. But let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. Now, here's, what I, here's the point, that Jesus said, make them holy by your, your, by your word. Your word is truth. We, we, we are moving toward this idea that we're, we're not holy, not in ourselves, but in Christ. And the way this works is that I've got to learn to renew my mind. That's why it said in Romans, don't copy the behaviors and customs of this world. Don't be conformed. The world is going to tell you that this is not true and that is true and do this and do that. And, just, and most people just go with the flow. They just go with the flow. And, and, and as believers, he says, don't do that. Don't conform to that. Be transformed 
By the renewing of your mind. If you want to renew your mind, you get into God's word, which will lead into you to holiness because it's truth. And then he goes on to say this because it says he's praying for, for us to be holy, but also sent on mission. He went on to say, just as you sent me into the world, I'm sending them into the world. And this is important. He said, I'm not taking them out of the world. Remember he said that? He said, all right, I'm just asking you to protect them while they're here from the evil one, but I'm not asking you to take them out of it. In fact, now he's saying just the opposite. I'm sending them into the world as missionaries. They're on mission because now they're, they've been transformed by this power of the Holy Spirit. They are new creations in Christ. The old things have passed away and everything's become new. And now they're my missionaries. They're my ambassadors. That's what, that's what the Bible calls us, ambassadors. An ambassador is someone who represents a country. If I was the U.S. ambassador to another country, I would, when, when I went to that country, I would speak on behalf of the country I represent. And Jesus calls us to be ambassadors for him. So we're on a mission. And this mission is to help others who have not crossed this line yet. They're still over. They haven't made this decision to follow Jesus. They're still lost in their sins and, and on their way to hell if, if, if God doesn't intercede or we don't intercede as well. So we are here and we're imploring them, compelling them, come to Christ. Have your sins forgiven. You have a loving God who has laid down his life for you. And that's our message, and that's our mission, and that's what we're called to do. It's not just about, hey, um, that's good, I, I'm, I'm moving towards sanctification, um, and one day I'll die and go to heaven. No, I'm on a mission in this time. And God, is, God has empowered me in praying for those, those, those conversations. As you go out into your workplace, and you lock eyes with that person who may not, they still may be over here. And God is praying, Jesus is up there making intercession for that conversation, that divine appointment that you might get a chance to build a relationship and share Jesus with them. It's, it's amazing how God does this and allows us to get in on that plan. But it's part of this prayer that he's praying. He's saying, God, protect them, make them holy, let them be on mission. And then lastly, he says this, he prays for our unity. He prays for our unity. Our unity, listen to this, our unity is a witness to the world. It backs up the message that we're sharing with those people back there who are not yet followers of Jesus, and we're, we're, we're trying to share Jesus, and as long as we're unified, they will listen, but when we're, we're not unified, they're going, why would I want to listen to you? Why would I want to be like you? You guys don't even get along with each other. He says, Let's be unified. Here's, what he, here's how we put it. And I'm praying not only for these disciples, but also for all who ever believe in me through their message. That's us. I pray that they will all be one, just as you and I are one. As you are in me, Father, and I am in you. And may they be in us, so the world will believe you sent me. I've given them the glory you gave me, so they may be one as we are one. I'm in them, and you are in me. May they experience such perfect unity that the world will know that you sent me and that you love them as much as you love me. You see how he's like, the unity is the, is, is, is the witness. When we're unified, when we come together and we love one another, the, 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 the world outside the walls of the church takes notice because we live in a world that's, world that's very divided. I mean, there's never been a point in history that I can think of that's been more divided, our world's more divided. 
And yet we're called to be different. The church is an amazing thing, the big C church. It's amazing because it's, it's a hodgepodge. It's a tapestry of people from all different backgrounds. It's a reflection of the community, a reflection of the world and the differences and the uniqueness that we all have. And yet we come together under the banner of Jesus Christ, our common denominator. And we set aside the non-essentials, the things that divide us, because they're not really important in the big scheme of things. And we focus on what matters, our mission. And the one who sends us out. And when we have that love and we have that unity, the world looks at that and, 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 and they go, man, I, I think I want that. At least I'm intrigued enough to maybe go check it out. Because I don't see that anywhere else. Unfortunately, the church, we have not done a good job of this. Not us, but I'm saying in general. Because you have all, churches are known more for their disunity than unity, unfortunately. I mean, you hear about all the time, like, you have a group of people meeting. This is a church. Everything's going good. Somebody gets mad at somebody. Hurt, feelings get hurt. And that's it. I'm leaving. I'm taking my ball and going home. And they go over here. We're going to start our own church. We take my buddies with me. And we're going to start a church over here. Because we can't get along with you. So we're going to start this church. And everything's good for a little while. But of course now, somebody's feelings are going to get hurt eventually. And now I'm mad at you. And we're going to go take our group and splinter off here. And we're going to start our group. And this goes on and on and on. And they're all based, they, they all begin in this with unhealthiness to begin with, dysfunction. And the world's out there looking at all of this and going, why would I want to be a part of that? Like, why would I want to be that? And I don't blame them. Because here's the thing. As unique as we are, and as different as we are, and we come from different backgrounds, red, yellow, black, and white, different economic stratus, different educational levels. And you name the differences in the world, and all of a sudden, they come together and are unified, and they're worshiping God, and the world looks at it and goes, that is amazing. I want that. So Jesus, here's how Jesus put it. He says, I want, Father, I want them to be one like you and I are one. Get this. He is equating the, the Trinity Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, three in one. And he's saying, I want the church to have such unity that resembles that kind of unity. That's what we need to have if we're going to make an impact in the world. He's like, this is, this is important. And he used a lot of analogies for the church, by the way. He called the church, one time the Bible talks about the church being a body. It compares a church, the big C church, to a body, a human body. And think about this. When we talk about unity, we're not talking about uniformity because we're all different. We set aside those differences and we bring those differences together for something for the greater good. And together we can do more. Just like your body, every part of your body has a different function. Your hand is different than your foot. They look different. They, they have different functions, but they're all part of the body. And they all have a unique purpose. And without one then, you know, if I'm missing my hand, that's going to be a detrimental to my life. And my, my ear is different than my nose. It looks different, but has a different, serves a different purpose. And we need, what we need to do is we need to say, okay, I have a part of this. And I, I need, just like in, my, in your body, like if, if the Bible says if one part of the body grieves, we all grieve. One part celebrates, we all celebrate. I got stung by a wasp on, uh, two days ago on my finger. 
Those little dudes will light you up, man. I'm telling you. It, it, little, little thing this big. Here's what happened. I got stung in the finger. But let me tell you something. My finger hurt. But it wasn't the only thing that was hurting. But my eyelashes were hurting. Okay, my, my hair was hurting. Everything was hurting because it's all part of the body. This is how the body's supposed to work. When one grieves, we all grieve. When one celebrates, we all celebrate. We're in this together. We're better together. This is the, he also called it the church like a family. You know, family. Families are awesome. They're not, a lot of them are dysfunctional, but they're awesome. And we're, we're a family. And when, there's, when the family's clicking, look, people want to be a part of it. I look at my life and I go, man, I can't even believe what God's done, the way he's worked. And I know it's a direct result of him praying for me. Because I didn't even think to pray about the certain things that have happened to me. I know it wasn't my idea. I don't think anybody else was praying. Right? I'm pretty sure Jesus was praying that for me. What do you need prayer about right now? What have you been praying about? What have you been asking others to pray about? Let me tell you something. What matters to you matters to God. He cares about you that much. What matters to you matters to him. Some of you right now, you just need, you need to know that, there's, that Jesus is praying for you. He's aware of your situations. You may be going through an addiction right now and just trying to get, you're just, I mean, you're so frustrated because you seem like you're on the right path and then you relapse. And it's just a pattern. You just can't see. And let me tell you something. You're not alone. He's praying for you. You may be in a situation where your marriage is really falling apart right now. It's, it's hanging by, it's by a fume. You know, it's fumes. And you're about to call it quits, and he's praying. Some of you have got, like, a, the, the prodigal son or daughter. They're out there. I mean, just, it's breaking your heart. He's praying. Or health situation. He's praying. He is praying. Is that, is that, he is praying for, Jesus is praying for you specifically, making intercession for you. You know what? I believe that he's praying right now. One of the biggest prayers he's praying right now is for anybody that's in this room or watching online who is, is still over here. You have not had that aha moment. You have never placed your faith in Christ. You've never turned from your sins and turned to God. You are here. You're like right on the verge, but you haven't done it. He's praying for you. He's praying that you would come to your senses and that you would say yes to him, that he loves you that much, that you would see that, you would respond to that, and then you could enter this next phase of your life, become totally justified and, and, and saved from your sin, and then start this process. That's what he's praying for you. And it would be, it'd be crazy for you to say, I don't want that prayer, God. Don't pray for me. Lean into that. Receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Let's pray together. God, thank you for the intercession that you make for us. Jesus, thank you. Thank you that you are interceding right now. You're at the right hand of the Father and making intercession for us. And you know the hurts and you know the obstacles and you know the temptations and you know the challenges and you know what we're facing and you know things that we can't even imagine that are on the horizon and you're praying. 
You're praying protection from the evil one who wants to take us out. You're praying that we would be holy, that we would walk in that. You're praying that we would live on mission and share Jesus with other people. God, I pray for those people who who are at that point right now and they need to just say yes. They need to say yes to you. Because I believe you're praying and I believe the Holy Spirit's moving in their hearts and I believe they're feeling that tug in their heart that says, yes, come to me. And they've been fighting it too long, but I pray that today would be the day of their salvation. God, for all the hurts, all the needs, all the things that are going on, thank you for the prayers. If you're here today and you're at that point where you're going, I need a savior. And you're feeling those prayers for you and you're ready to relinquish control of your life and turn it over to Jesus. Maybe offer a prayer like this, Jesus, right now. I want to thank you for praying for me. I want to thank you for your love for me. And I want to tell you that right now I am turning from my old life and I'm turning to you. Forgive me of my sins. Help me to be the person that you've created me to be and I'm going to follow you forever. God, thank you for your love. Thank you for your prayers. In the name of Jesus, amen.